I'm John, a pastor, interim pastor here at Grace these days, and uh, I'll be bringing us a message uh, continuing our series on the life of Jacob. We'll be in Genesis 28 this morning, but before that, just would remind you, in case you're not aware, that uh, we're in the middle of a, of a, a period of 30 days of prayer as a church, uh, as, and we're praying about the process that we're currently undertaking uh, in search of a new lead pastor. Uh, and so we're about halfway through the 30 days of prayer. Of course, we don't stop praying at day 30, uh, but uh, it's a special time when we're gathering together. And people are praying uh, individually on your own, in your homes and families, uh, uh, in, in small, uh, small gatherings or in your small groups or on your teams. And, uh, and uh, there's another uh, time that I'd like to invite you to, if you could, if you want to. Uh, Monday nights, we meet just across the hall at 7.30. Uh, during this period, and we pray together. And uh, <clears throat> I'd, I'd love it if everyone made one of those Monday nights, but uh, do what you can. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes you might be afraid, yikes, what would it be like to go to a, a prayer meeting? Do I have to pray out loud? No, you don't. Will I be forced to pray? No, you will not. Uh, will I be centered out and, uh, <clears throat> you know, made to feel awkward? No. I don't like feeling awkward, so we are careful not to make anybody else feel awkward as well. You can sit and listen to the prayers and say your quiet amen, and it all counts. So uh, Monday nights at 7.30 across the hall or in your various other places where you're praying with people. And uh, thank you for praying. Please keep it up. We're halfway through. You know when runners run, sometimes they hit the wall, you know, and they, they just feel like quitting. If you press through, break through, you have new strength. And, and I pray that would be for for all of us to remember as we pray together uh, uh, <clears throat> through this 30 days. Let's just pray right now. Please stand. <clears throat> Lord, we come before you as a congregation, standing in your presence, recognizing our own weakness and inability to make anything happen, anything good happen. You give us roles to play, but in the end, it is you. And so we appeal to you this morning, praying in our Savior Jesus' name, that you will guide us in the search process, that you will provide for us the new lead pastor that would be right for our times and would be right for the days ahead. And uh, Lord, be working in that person's life to know your call. Be working in us to know what you're doing and to be able to discern and choose wisely. This morning, I believe the verse in our prayer schedule has to do with preaching the word in season and out of season with all patience and perseverance. And we pray that the new pastor would love you and would love your word and would preach it in a way that is compelling and relevant and faithful to the text. Now, Lord, as our kids go off to Grace Kids, we pray that you would bless them and their leaders there and us as we remain here to study more from Jacob's life. Amen. Please be seated. Children can be released to Grace Kids right now, and you'll meet your volunteer helper at the back door. The rest of you can be turning to Genesis chapter 28. <clears throat> it's not hard to find Genesis. It's the, it's the first book of the Bible. Why am I having trouble finding it? There it is. Uh, Genesis 28. Uh, we're into the third week now, uh, studying and following the life of Jacob. Jacob is a famous, famous person in the Bible. Uh, sometimes when you read later on in the Bible, Isaiah, Psalms, etc., you will, you will hear uh, God addressing Jacob 
But Jacob's long gone, right, by the time you go. So who's he talking to? Uh, Jacob gave birth to the whole nation of Israel over time, all of his descendants. And so sometimes God addresses Jacob, but that's just an interchangeable word for Israel. Uh, and you'll, you will notice that. But they trace their, their origins back to this man, Jacob. So we've been seeing so far the first couple of weeks that Jacob's not a very nice man. All right, and, uh, and so we've, we've tried to point that out fairly, uh, but God is going to change his life, and today's message called The Dream uh, is, f- uh, is a critical turning point in Jace- Jacob's life. He doesn't change immediately all at one and be- once, once and become an amazing saint. He struggles along, but he'll never forget this day. And on his dying day, when he's saying his final words in Genesis 49, he will refer to this day. So it's a very important day. And uh, I'd like to speak to all of you here this morning. I don't know where you're all coming from, but uh, I I would like to point out that God speaks to all of us, that he will speak to you, and he probably has already spoken to you. You may or may not have heard it. Uh, My hope this morning is that our ears would be unplugged and our hearts would be awakened and our eyes would be opened and that we would see those moments in our lives as God continually speaks to us. You know, there's a, there's a, there are different kinds of strains and, and uh, ways of thinking within the whole Christian world and, 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 and some, some Christians are, are really into experience, right? And they, they have experiences and they talk about these experiences and, and uh, they put a lot of weight on their experiences that they've had with God. And then there are other Christians who say, oh no, we can't be too experience oriented. Experiences can be tricky and we need to, you know, we need to stick with the written text and the written word here. You know what? You know who's right? We need both. We need the written text and the written word, but we also need to experience God because he's alive and he can speak and he can touch your life. And I want to awaken us to that this morning, that we would go out of here with our eyes wide open uh, and, and uh, wonder what's God going to possibly say to me today or this week. I'm going to read the text now. We start in verse 11, verse 10. <clears throat> we'll read to the end of chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba, and he set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, 
though the city used to be called Luz. When Jacob made, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And <clears throat> this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So, quite a moment. <clears throat> First line in verse 10 says, Jacob left Beersheba and he set out for Haran. What are those places? Beersheba was the place where his family had lived. His father Isaac, his mother Rebekah, his brother Esau. But he had to leave because he had deceived his father, cheated his brother. His brother was raging, murderously angry, as I've been saying. And Jacob had to flee. His mother said, why don't you go to visit your uncle Laban? Because it was his uncle. Uh, and uh, Laban lived in Haran. So he's going from Beersheba to Haran. It's about at least a 200-mile journey. It's a long trip. And, uh, and so away he goes to stay and seek shelter at Haran until his brother cools off. And then his mother said, uh, then you can come back home again. <clears throat> There's a surprise ending to that story. Verse 11 says, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night. This is probably maybe the first night of his journey, which would take quite a few days. He stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. Imagine with me what might be, what might have been going through Jacob's mind on this journey as he stops for the night. He's probably weary from the day. He finds this stone. He lays his head on the stone. I remember once we had a costume party when I was single and in my 20s for the church. And I, I came carrying this, <laughs> this rock and trying to make people guess who I was. And they finally guessed when I had to do my thing and I put it on the ground and laid my head on it. Like, it's not very creative, but uh, <clears throat> anyway... One of my points is we're all Jacob in one way or another. So Jacob laid his head on this rock. What might he have been thinking as he thought to his recent past? He probably felt regret, sorrow, or anger, or it wouldn't have been good looking back. As he thought ahead to where he's going, wouldn't have been good either. Um, uncertainty. What's going to happen? Where am I going? What's my life coming to? Probably a lot of anxiety looking forward. And then as he thinks of his present moment, it's probably lonely. There wasn't anybody traveling with him. He's traveling alone. <clears throat> and he laid his head down, probably troubled, and went to sleep. You know what? <clears throat> Sometimes we don't really see clearly. Sometimes we don't get what God wants us to get until we're at the bottom of the barrel, until we're at the end of the rope. The last place you want to be is at the bottom of the barrel, but it might be the very place that you need to be for God to finally get your attention. Remember the prodigal son? Finally, when he was totally destitute and eating pig's food, did he awaken and say, I need to go back home to my father? And so he did. It says he had a dream. You know what? Sometimes when we're awake, and our minds are working hard, <clears throat> and we're making plans, and we're overcoming problems, and we're scheming, and we're exercising all of our great gifts, we fail to hear God's quiet voice. We're very busy. 
And sometimes he waits until we're asleep and we've dropped our defenses. And then he speaks, as he did here in Jacob's life. God speaks. It says he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heavens. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. <clears throat> Strange dream. Stairway, some translations call it a ladder. Its bottom end was on the earth. Its upper end was, was in heaven. And God was standing up there in heaven, and he, he could see all this. And there were angels ascending and descending on the stairway. Weird, huh? Now, there's a, stairways provide transport. They provide a way, right? They, 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 op they open up the way, and so the, the stairway is linking earth and heaven. Heaven can come down the stairway to earth, and people on earth can go up the stairway to heaven. The angels were ascending and descending. It speaks of activity, busyness. There's, there's activity in the spiritual realm that we know nothing of, but it is there, and other passages will speak of this as well. <clears throat> there's a strange thing that Jesus said <clears throat> excuse me, in John 1, 51, right at the end of the first chapter of John. He's speaking to Nathanael, and, uh, and Nathanael was amazed at something Jesus had just done. And Jesus said, well, you think this is great. He said, someday you're going to see <clears throat> the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And that's all he said. But it was a clear reference to this, angels ascending and descending, except on a stairway, the angels will be ascending and descending. He substitutes the Son of Man himself in for the stairway. He's, could he have been saying that he's the way to heaven, to God? Uh-huh. And he repeats that in many different ways in his ministry. So he was referring to this passage, which every Jewish person would have known about. So <clears throat> here we have Jacob having a dream. I had a dream last night. <clears throat> Maybe you can help me. <clears throat> I was on rollerblades. And I was going down this long, curvy hill. And there was a whole bunch of people marching down the hill. And I was like a whiz on rollerblades, which I'm not. And, and I was zooming and curving and just having the time of my life, passing all these people, ripping on down through this, through this crowd. And, and, that, and that's where it, where it ended. The sad thing is that that's probably all you'll remember this morning from this sermon. <laughs> and small groups will be debating till midnight this week on the meaning of John's dream. Don't do that. It doesn't mean anything. You know, you know what's happening when you dream? Your brain's having fun. You've made it work hard all day. And it's going to relax and rest a bit, and then it's just going to think whatever it wants to think. And that's why our dreams are so crazy sometimes. But when, if you have a dream from God, you'll know it. And Jacob had a dream from God here, and he knew it on this occasion. Above it stood the Lord, above the stairway, and the Lord said, I am, identifies himself, I am the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. <clears throat> and he immediately begins to speak a prophetic blessing into Jacob's life. He says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you were lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. 
So the first part of this amazing blessing is that you're going to have descendants. Jacob was single, so there was going to be some things happening in his life. Not only would he have a descendant or two, he was going to have a lot of them. It says you're, they'll be like the dust of the earth, and they'll spread out west, east, north, and south. That's a lot. And then goes, God, God goes on to say, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. That's an amazing statement, an amazing promise that people in the future would be blessed by my life and by my offspring. And you know what? God had said the same thing to Abraham uh, some years before, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. It was a messianic prophecy that uh, through Jacob's descendants, eventually would come the final and ultimate descendant, Jesus the Messiah, and all the earth would be blessed through Jacob, through your descendants, your offspring. Saying the same thing here to Jacob, and it's an amazing statement that is being made here. And then he goes on to say, not done yet, I am with you. Jacob thinks he's alone. And I will watch over you wherever you go. Really? I'm, he's anxious about where he's going and what's going to happen. God is saying, I'm going to watch over you. And I will bring you back to this land. Wow. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. <clears throat> and so we have this amazing words of blessing. Now, if Jacob had been awake, it's probably good that he was asleep. But if he had been awake, he might have argued a little bit with God and said, Me? You talking to me? Jacob? The deceiver? The heel grasper? The liar and the cheater? The con man? You talking to me? With all these nice words? This doesn't make sense. The reason I'm sleeping on this stone all alone and on the run is because I've ruined my life. And I've ruined some other people's lives too. And I'm paying the consequences. I am no good. I'm not the kind of person who deserves these words and this blessing. I'm sorry, but you got the wrong number. <clears throat> and yet God said, I'll be with you. No mistake. I'll watch over you. And I will bring you back to this land. Because Jacob desperately didn't want to leave this land. And he was only going there temporarily. And he longed for the day when he could come back. God said, it'll happen. <clears throat> Listen to this. How generous. <clears throat> how surprisingly kind and how magnanimous and gracious is God to Jacob. Let's talk a bit about what God is really like. I once was reading an author who I respected very much and he said something that I, th I thought was strange. He said, sometimes I feel sorry for God. And I thought, what does he mean by that? I kept reading. And he went on to say, it's because of the way God has been treated by sinful humanity. Their creator, our sustainer, who gives us every breath, our provider, and our savior, saving us from our sins. Consider this, that God is the most maligned being in the universe. God is the most slandered person the most misrepresented person, the most lied about person, the most hated, the most falsely accused, the most impugned, the most attacked and criticized and ignored and marginalized and treated as unimportant and unappreciated 
person in the universe that ever was. His name is constantly used to express our anger or disgust about something. And yet, he has been gracious to us beyond comprehension. He has never stopped loving us. It is not his wish to judge us. There is a judgment, but it's really the last thing God wants to do. He wants to save us. And he desires that no one would perish. That's the heart of God. Jesus said of his father, he's kind to ungrateful and wicked men. Amazing. And then there's the ultimate, the cross, where he didn't have to, but he graciously died for our sins just to find a way to save us and bring us into his family. You know, when we sin, <clears throat> Satan, who's the ultimate liar, and behind all of this poor treatment of God, when we sin, Satan whispers in our ear and he says, uh-oh, now you've done it. God is disgusted with you and he's going to get you. You better run and hide from him. A greater lie has never been told. The truth is, God doesn't want to get you. He immediately says, come to me. Please come to me and be cleansed and be saved. We, we sang it this morning, O wanderer, come to him. You're not too far. Come. There's an old hymn that I remember we sang as a kid in our church, and it was an invitation to come. The most beautiful word from God in all the Bible, come to me. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O oh sinner, come home. Back to Jacob. <clears throat> You'll remember a couple of weeks ago that we said this is a story of grace. And we're witnessing the grace of God being extended to Jacob. Jacob is encountering the grace of God right here. Did you know that what is meant to happen when we experience God's grace, when we experience God's kindness in our undeserving state? Grace is meant to awaken your heart. It's meant to shock you. Like, what was that? It's meant to humble your pride. It's meant to draw you to God. And it's meant to release from you words of thanks and worship. In the New Testament, it says it's possible to trample underfoot the grace of God. Please do not do that. Verse 16 says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. You know, often we don't realize we've encountered God until we look back. We see it in hindsight. In the moment, you know, maybe we're, we're, we're dealing with something. We're busy with it. We look back and we go, oh, yes, I see it now. Hindsight can be very helpful. Our encounters with God could be some really large, unmistakable moment like a, 
a stairway to heaven, so to speak. But probably the vast majority of them are contained in the smaller everyday affairs of life when we encounter God. <clears throat> Sometimes uh, in, in kids' classes or in vacation Bible school or whatever, they have this little thing with the kids and they call it uh, sharing our God encounters. No, what, God sightings, we call it. And, and that is they, they ask the kids to be thinking over your past day. And when, when was it that maybe you saw something of God, something of his kindness or his goodness, and the little hands go up and they, they talk about mundane, ordinary things of life. But they are what they are. Children are wise in that way. And so we must look for these encounters with God as Jacob had his encounter that day. You know what? When we're aware of God, worship and thanksgiving is spontaneous and real, service becomes easy, and sacrifice becomes a joy. It says of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I'll tell you two quick stories, one about a monk and one about some cows. The monk is the story of a man who lived in the 1600s named Brother Lawrence. His, his uh, original name was Nicholas Herman. And uh, he's famous for uh, a little book, and I, I would recommend it to you. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, <clears throat> was his name as a monk. And uh, he had a, an encounter with God one day. Life, life was pretty boring. He was in the army. He didn't enjoy his life. And it was wintertime, and he was in France, and it was the 30-day war in Europe, and, and, uh, and he was sitting there feeling rotten, and he looked up, and he saw a, a small tree. It was wintertime. The tree was bare, looked dead. But he knew that was a living tree, and it spoke to him that God's life was in that tree, and in a couple of months, that life would burst out and it would bear fruit. And that spoke to him about the activity of God in a tree, and then he thought, by extension, in every one of us. We might look barren and, 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 and fruitless in the wintertime, but when God enters a life, uh, fruit comes out of that life. I thought for a moment, if Nicholas Herman had had an iPhone, he might never have had that moment. He had been busy looking at his Instagram pictures. So put it away sometimes and, and see what's around you and encounter God in ways that he has provided for us. So he became a monk eventually, and uh, a Carmelite monk, and he lived in Paris, and he worked in a monastery in a kitchen for 30 years, peeling potatoes and scrubbing pots and pans. And he was a joyful, joyful man doing that mundane work because he saw God in everything. He, he, everything he did, every pot he scrubbed, every potato he peeled, he did it out of love for God. That guy experienced God, I'm telling you. And, and I share it as, as, as a challenge to all of us to, to encounter God everywhere and, and to be able to say, even when you're driving to work, when you're changing a diaper, when you're, when you're dealing with, you know, whatever you're dealing with, surely God is in this place. And I was not aware of it. It can change your life. It changed Jacob. Oh, the other story was, uh, there's a photo I once saw in the Globe and Mail. A long time ago, it just struck me. There's a photo at the Tour de France was on <coughs> in Europe. 
and uh, it was a photo of a field in the foreground, and then a, a, a tree and a roadway passing by, <clears throat> and several cyclists in the Tour de France were, were just going full out, uh, racing by on their, on their cycles. This is one of the premier sporting events in all of the world uh, every once a year. I think it's every year, whenever it is. It's, anybody would, would pay huge amounts of money to be able to stand 10 feet from that roadway and see those cyclists go by and, and understand what's going on. But in that foreground of the field, there were about six cows. And they were, three of them were, were munching grass and another three were kind of looking at the clouds and totally blissfully unaware of the glory that was passing by that's called the Tour de France. And I thought, Lord, may I not be like a cow. Unaware of what you're doing around me, of the glory of God around me. Verse 18. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. That's kind of, a, of an act of consecration. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz or Luz. So the name Luz means almond tree, apparently in Hebrew. It's a nice name, fair enough. But Jacob gave it a new place, a new name called Bethel. And Bethel is, is a combination of two words in Hebrew. <clears throat> Beth, and it's pronounced bet, or bet, betel. Uh, and uh, bet means house of, and el is a word for God. House of God. And that's what he named this place. And that Bethel was a, a, a famous place through a lot of the Old Testament. You know what? It's good to create markers of the moments when we encounter God, when we see him, when, we, when he speaks to us in some way, large or small, just as Jacob set up a marker to remember and thereby to worship and praise God. <clears throat> Can you name any of the places or times in your life that were pivotal in your spiritual journey? It could be the day of your salvation. You might, you might remember a place, a time, and a day. That's great. Or it may be other places along the way where God has spoken to you, where he has drawn you, where he has opened your eyes a little bit, where he graciously spoke to you gracious words, though you didn't deserve it. And you look back in hindsight and you go, wow. I, I, I think about this quite a bit in my own life, trying to think of where did I experience encounters with God along the way that, uh, that contributed to changing me and bringing me to serve God and to love God and to believe in Jesus. Here are, here's my little list, and it's, it's not full. It's, there's just a few. Cambridge, August 1971. There's a story there. I won't tell it to you right now. Waterloo, February 1972. A lot of these in the 70s because this was a form, formational time spiritually in my life <clears throat> to turn me around from a bad way I was going. Chicago, Illinois. January the 1st, 1973. Cambridge, I was raised in Cambridge. August, 1974, beautiful moment. Sherbrooke, Quebec, ski trip. December, 1974. Guelph, July the 1st, 1994. And there are lots more. So do some thinking. Ask God to, to, to walk you back through some of the roads that you've traveled on and the pathways you've been on and to Notice and identify those moments and then turn them into altars. Turn them into worship. Turn them into thanks. And let it 
empower you in your present life of God's goodness with the promise he'll be good tomorrow too. He'll be good today and that's just his nature as his gracious God. You know, none of those places that I mentioned in my own life had anything to do with being in a church or hearing a preacher. God's not limited to speak only there. <clears throat> Something to remember from last week as we close. Remember last week that moment where Jacob stood or, stood or sat before his father Isaac, his old blind father Isaac. And Jacob was in the process of deceiving and tricking his father to believe that he was Jacob, or sorry, that he was Esau, so that he would get Esau's blessing. And Esau <clears throat> was a hairy man, Jacob was a smooth-skinned man, and so his mother and him come up with this plan to, to put goat skins on his arms and on his shoulders, so that if his father should touch him, he would think as he touched this hairy arms that this indeed was Esau, and he would bless him with Esau's blessing. So Jacob's sitting there in front of his father, and his father does indeed touch him, and he accepts him as being Esau, and he blesses him. <clears throat> One day, every Christian will stand in front of God, <clears throat> and the most important thing in all of time and all of the world is that he accepts you. And that he blesses you and invites you into his presence. But will I have what it takes to be accepted? You know, the one thing you need more than anything else is righteousness. Because we're sinners. We're unrighteous. There's none righteous. No, not one, says the New Testament. And we need righteousness. Problem is, we don't have any righteousness of our own. All of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, says the book of Isaiah. And so we need righteousness, and this is where the gospel comes in. This is the work of Christ, is that Christ has clothed us with his righteousness. And the Father, metaphorically, would reach out and touch us and encounter the righteousness of Christ, and he would say, welcome, come in. Don't get me wrong. God the Father is not blind, and he's not easily, he's not, not easily, he's not deceived at all. He knows exactly what's going on. This is an arrangement of grace between the Father and the Son that we might be saved. The Son says, I will bear their sins and I will give them a clothing of righteousness that they may be acceptable to you, Father. And the Father says, this is good. Let's just look at some verses as we close. Philippians 3.9. Oh, lest I forget. The goat that clothed Jacob had to die in order that Jacob might be clothed. Our Savior had to die that we might be clothed with his righteousness. It's amazing. Philippians 3.9, <clears throat> Paul's talking about being found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It's not an earned righteousness. It's a gifted righteousness, a gift of grace. Next verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness 
in him we might become the righteousness of God. Next verse. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor male or female. You are all one in Christ. We all wear the same clothing, Christ's righteousness. Last verse. Isaiah 61.10, this is a prophetic statement about what will be for God's people someday. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Last verse from Genesis 28 says, Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I will return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house and, all that I, all that you, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Question, will Jacob the deceiver, the liar, and the con man actually keep this vow? See you next week. We're going to celebrate communion and break bread now. And uh, Weba Crozen is going to lead us in that. Thank you, Weba, for doing that. Let me pray first. Dear Lord, in some way or another, we are all Jacob. He only changed because you changed him. May we experience the life-changing, eye-opening, heart-softening grace of God in our lives, in these days in which we live. Amen. Weber.